Hi, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. On today's episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about locations, locations, and yet more locations. How your gaming environment can affect your play experience in surprising ways sometimes in all the different places that Paul and I have played D&D. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. But before we get into it, uh, don't forget that after the show, we will have, as always, our after-party chat on our private Discord. Uh, you can join in on that by becoming a patron at our Patreon, uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Uh, join in for just a dollar or a more if you want some of the other exciting benefits that we have, and you can join us in the after show chat. We Thank you. Thank you for that reminder, and uh, we'll enjoy uh, seeing uh, anybody that joins us there. We've had more people lately, which you know just makes it more exciting yeah. and awesome, frankly. Yeah, Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. So you suggested this topic, Paul, and I thought it was very interesting. Something yeah. I probably wouldn't have come up with right at the moment. Why? Why did? Why did you think to do that this uh, this week? Well, well, because um, you know, last week we were off because I was at Carnage on the Mountain uh, running some games, and um, and it, it it was one of the things that that I kind of noticed as I was playing my games for two reasons. First of all, Carnage on the Mountain is an unusual gaming convention in that it is held at a ski lodge, which is a little strange. Most, most conventions I've been to are usually held at hotels, which means that you're staying in the hotel room and you're playing in ballrooms, maybe uh, other, or, or a, a convention center of some kind. Uh, this is definitely, uh, you know, this is a repurposed ski lodge. So you're, you're walking past, um, you know, some of the lodging is, is, is like condos. You know, uh, so you're walking past like, you know, big... Huh. Uh, lounge areas with with big fireplaces and such. You think of your, sort of your classic ski resort kind of place. And then a lot of the games are held in buildings that are, um, you know, initially meant to be like ski lodge, right? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, where you go to go get your lunch in between uh, runs down the slope. Um, and and this, the mountains are right there. They're, you know, you're walking potentially up and down them to get from one location to the next. Um, in this particular case, uh, some of the, the RPGs were held in a separate building from the hotel. So you had to, uh, probably, uh, actually in this case, they were far enough. You had to get, uh, you had to drive or get on a shuttle, um, no. uh, because they were far enough apart that it was, uh, that was a temporary thing. I think, uh, while, while the normal location where Carnage is held is being remodeled, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, and then the other thing is just where those two games were held. So I, I ran two games over the course of the weekend, two playtests of, of my uh, RPG Fearful Ends coming soon to Kickstarter. Check it out at fearfulends.com. And um, we were, um, the first game was run kind of in the main area. So there was at least a dozen tables, like large circular tables with about eight seats around them and lots of games being run at them. And I really had to project which is common, I think, when you're in a kind of a big space running a running an RPG. So, I, so it was fine; it worked. But I was definitely like a, getting a little hoarse by the end of the game. 
The second one I ran on Sunday uh, morning, and as we were gathering, uh, uh, our friend of the show Adam was play was got signed up to play the game. Uh, okay. He was he suggested to me, "Hey, why don't you check in?" Because I was scheduled to run at the exact same table. He said, "Why don't you check in with the people running the game?" There's there's these two tables over there in the corner. They're kind of a little separate, and they're kind of near this bar, uh, which was not in operation because it's off season for skiing. So there's just two tables over by this bar. It's very quiet. Um, it's got a great view of the mountain. Um, you know, I, I don't, doesn't look like anyone's sitting there to play a game, ask if we can move there. And so I went over to the registration booth and I said, can we, can we move our game over there? Is that, would that be all right? And they said, absolutely. No one's playing anything on this whole floor today. Um, oh, and you can have your pick of the tables. And I was like, great. And it was just so much better. Uh, for, especially for a horror game, but it's better just to not have to shout. But it was also just for that kind yeah. of mood to have that kind of space. Um, it was really nice, and and frankly, also I think the table I was at had a little. It was a little space behind me with a like a little counter, so I was able to use that to stage some of my stuff, and that was really helpful. Great. So that just got me thinking Great. about the physical space of like the location that it's at a ski lodge, but also like the furnishings, the surroundings. Uh, there's so many aspects to this. Or just like how does the physical space in which you're gaming impact your game? So I started thinking about that, um, and then I started, you know, then I would want to ask questions, Dan. Like, um, and I, I actually want to pose this question to our viewers in general. So anyone in the chat, please chime in. Like, what's the weirdest place that you've ever sat down to play, or not sat down to play uh, a role playing game? That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I bet I bet some viewers have um, have some have some really great memories of uh, places you wouldn't expect to be playing. Um, and you know, just to kind of continue on the on the carnage thought, Paul, because I think that in the past, like actually, just as a little side note, is it because in the past I think we've called that convention Carnage on the Mountain, and I think is it just branded as just Carnage now? Have they changed the branding? No, years. Uh, um, that's a, I, I didn't think so. I think I thought it was still called Carnage on the Mountain, but I guess I'm going their their website is carnagecon.com. Right. And uh, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at their website right now and it does just say Carnage. So maybe. Yeah. Uh, if if it was an intentional change, I, I was not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I remember, I believe I remember you telling me in like prior years, um, there's, if, if I'm not misremembering, I guess there's a, there's a, there's a, a bridge structure between two of the buildings. I guess in the past you've had to pass like in the middle of the night in the fog down this bridge, this precipitous yeah. bridge between there, two buildings. So one of the unusual things about this year is that for some reason right now, New England is uh, experiencing some very unusual weather. I don't know if it's like you, this down by you, Dan, but, um, over the weekend, while I was at Carnage, it was high 70s out and sunny and gorgeous. And it's November, and that does not make sense. Because frankly, uh, you know, not only is it this, this time of year, but like we're up in the mountains in Vermont. It, it, I've definitely been to Carnage in the past where there were skiers. Skiers were there to ski. It was a little early. Okay. There weren't okay. a lot of slopes open, but there were a couple. <laughs> so um yeah it was super warm and nice out anyway um why do i bring that up so in the past when i've gone to carnage uh usually the weather is terrible um it's usually very cold uh there might be snow it's often been like like 
precipitating in an unpleasant way, I want to say. Not snow, but like, you know, wintry mix or sleet or something really awful coming down out of the sky. Um, <laughs> one, yeah, so I played there once, um, and in the in they're usually at uh, Killington, which is uh, not where they were just last weekend, but uh, that's normal where they are. So um, you have the main hotel, which is where, you know, where I was staying, right? I had a hotel room. And like the restaurants there, and there's some game space there that they take over, but there's enough RPGs that they need a separate, you know, larger space for it. So they take over the lodge, which is sort of if you've ever been skiing, it's the place where like you go to rent your skis, and there's also like you know food there, like you maybe stop there to get your your lunch or something. So it's a big open space with a lot of tables because they, they serve meals there, um, but also you know space to you know, deal with ski rentals and such. Um, anyway, to get from the hotel to that other building, you have to walk a couple hundred feet, not far, but it's across a bridge that goes over a, a, a body of water, like a little, a little pond. Oh, okay. And yeah, and it's a big, it's this big wooden bridge. And when I first arrived there, it was, as I mentioned, sleeting. So it's dark, it's cold, it's sleeting. And to get to my game, I have to walk across this bridge in the dark over water. And it was not pleasant. <laughs> I put it that way, not pleasant. <laughs> and I get across and I get to my table and I'm setting up and I was running a game of D&D. And the uh, game I'm running, the particular scenario that I was running starts with the players are on the road and they get ambushed by a group of hobgoblins. And that's all it says. That's all that's in the scenario. They're on the road, they get ambushed by hobgoblins. and then the next scene is them arriving wherever it is they're going. So they have this quick little fight with some hobgoblins who, who are ambushing them. And I thought, let me set this up that the players are traveling and they're trying to reach their destination. They're in a hurry. So it's late at night and it's sleeting and they have to cross this big bridge. And that's where the hobgoblins ambush them. And, um, and it was just absolutely delightful because I just didn't have to waste a lot of words describing it. I, I give a couple of words and describing it a little bit, and every player at the table has just experienced this. They just <laughs> went across that bridge. And so they're all it's all in their heads and they're like, oh yep, I can perfectly imagine what that's like. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a very I mean, that's a very gameable location. I feel like that's something you would totally absolutely put into like a pre-made scenario of exactly that location. I find you know, I, I find it to be funny, you know, sleet's a funny weather because I find that it's like a weather, a weather that's not commonly used in narrative stories. Right. I used to have a joke about yeah. that with a friend in high school about like no work of fiction ever starts off in the first line as it was sleeting. For some reason, it's like it's like a, it's a narratively uncommon weather form. Yeah. 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 Well, I think also it's, it's 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 probably not. I guess I don't know. I don't know large scale weather, but I, I can say this. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of people on the from the West Coast. Um, and over the years, I've worked with a lot of people who, uh, when lo physical location was more important to your work, which is not the case anymore, uh, worked with plenty of people who had moved out here from the West Coast and were like adapting to New England. And I remember telling them, uh, my line was typically, well, you'll be a full-fledged New Englander when you can tell me the difference between sleet and freezing rain. Oh. Oh, you're telling me there are people that can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, oh really oh my goodness okay yes, there all are. right good. there are all many right. people in this that. country who do not know the yeah. difference between those huh. 
Okay, I okay, I see that now. I'm glad. Great, <laughs> I just learned something. How great yeah, is that? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, as yeah. a little as a little side observation, you're just making me think of the following. So I, you know, I I grew up in Maine and I went to uh, college at the University of Maine. And so um, in October, like October 1st, you'd get a pamphlet about parking rules that just went into effect and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what I had an acquaintance once who was from Florida, came from Florida, the University of Maine. And generally speaking, we we're like, oh, that's that's not a good idea. It's going to be a big it's going to be a big adjustment for you. And he loved it. Right. And the first snow came and he just went out in the big empty parking lot with his car and just did donuts just did NASCAR style donuts <laughs> in the snow for like several hours one afternoon. And was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm like, you're in the right place, sir. You have come, I didn't, ex this is unexpected, but you totally made the right choice in this case. But we'd get this, uh, along about October 1st, we'd get this pamphlet from Central Parking and the pamphlet starts off with, um, we have been surprised at how early the snow has come this year. And here's the thing. You got that pamphlet every year. They didn't change the text. <laughs> Just year after year after year. It was the standard text of the pamphlet that they never edited. We were always permanently surprised at how early the snow had come this year. And I'm like, I I don't I don't know how many years this has to go before we shouldn't be surprised anymore, but that's that's what was common. And I got to admit, you know, now uh, you know, for what it's worth here in New York, uh mid-November, I've got my window open here. Um, here in the middle of November, and you know, it's it's there's there's, there's a wide uh, variation between what I'm accustomed to come November and what happens nowadays where I am currently. So I totally feel that. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, very strange the weather we're encountering right now. I'm very much enjoying the uh, discussion in the chat about uh, hail, freezing rain, sleet. Uh, I encountered grapple for the first time recently, just just uh, last year. Or, yeah, I think just last winter. Never saw that before. That's fun. What? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. A grapple. Yeah. What? Grapple. Grapple is. Uh, is that... uh, okay, now I'm it's on. A, my it's own. a form of. It's a form of frozen precipitation. Yeah. Um. It's um. I think it's called grapple. Am I getting the right? Am I getting the words? Right? I mean, how do you handle that? I mean, is it, does it have clear rules or does it have unclear, complicated rules for handling that? And have they stayed the same or is it con continually evolving between editions? You know, is there constant it, debate? It, 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 we need it an is episode on it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah. Okay, we don't need to get into precipitation. Uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about location, uh, physical. So, so Dan, answer my question: What is the most unusual place you've ever played yes. a role-playing game in? Great. Well, I think the thing the thing that comes to mind is probably um, playing. And and I, you know, I I, I grew up. Uh, you know, I started uh, playing in my my parents' uh, living room on the carpet. And again, I was the first person of anybody they knew that got D and D. So I opened the box and pulled out the chits from my home's basic and taught everybody I knew how to play D and D. Um, and, you know, playing, um, in the, in, in my room on the, the carpeted floor played, you know, some war games on a, on a pool table in the basement, had friends over at our big dining room table, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I did grow up on a farm and I, uh, raised four uh, H beef cattle, uh, all through my, uh, childhood and teenage years. Um, so I, sp I have spent a lot, you know, d d d uh, did you grow up in a barn? And the answer is sort of yes. 
for me. <laughs> um, so I've spent a lot of time in, uh, you know, farms and barns and showing uh, cattle uh, competitively at uh, 4-H uh, events at county fairs. So I remember, you know, I played quite a bit of D&D in the back of a cattle truck at a county mm -hmm. fair. And specifically, I recall me hanging off my legs dangling off the end of the cattle truck and my cousins and a couple of friends sitting on hay bales um, as, as, I, <laughs> as I performed, as I ran the game, right? And um, did that quite a bit summers because I was usually at fairs for probably about four weeks uh, off and on different summers. And so the funny thing is my, my first edition, and I was you know running first edition advanced D&D &D at the time. So my, my classic first edition AD&D DMs guide from 1979, if I, or I guess 78, I guess, 79, something like that. Um, so if I if I leave through it closely, I still have flakes of hay in the gutter of my DMs guide. So I will still if I I still will have mashed up seeds and straw in my gutter when I flip through my DMs guide to this very day because how much time I spent carting this particular book around in cat in the back of cattle trucks um, and playing at fairs and also in like my grandfather's barn. We'd go exercise our um, our 4-H show steers, and then I'd sit up on like an old a grain bin, actually, and run games for, for half an hour, an hour, something like that. So um, to me, that's to me that's very natural. And it's one of those things that honestly I would forget that that's weird, right? That's actually where I grew up, and so I would actually I could possibly forget on a particular day that that's like possibly unusual. And um, in particular, I remember sitting on the back of the cattle truck. I have uh, I have a pencil, right? I got the book, I got the pencil, I got some dice, great. And at one point, I'm about, I don't know, I'm about seven feet off the ground. I drop the pencil, right? And in just a nanosecond, I'm going, oh, I'm, I'm so smart, right? I'm so smart, I'm so sharp, I'm gonna catch the pencil before it lands on the ground in between my legs. So I clamp my legs shut, right, to catch the pencil. And it just happens to be horizontal at that moment. And I drive it into my knee. I drive it like about three inches, the point about three inches into my knee. Right? I've, got a, I've, got, I've, I've stabbed myself. My, my uncle comes over and I don't know what to do myself. And he, he squeezes it out, but I'm permanently tattooed. I, I actually have a permanent tattoo mark on my knee here where I drove a pencil about three inches into my leg sitting off the back of the cattle truck so i get to um I get to be reminded about that every now and then <laughs> that's amazing that is amazing Wait, i mean i also what i have the same kind of reactions? thing on my hand can you can you see that right there you see that little spot yeah. right there that that's there's a permanent yeah. tattoo on the um the inner part of my thumb right there because i was another yeah. place i stabbed myself with a pencil. yeah God, stop stabbing yourself with pencils Dan. yeah <laughs> I've, I've been accosted by police I've, I've actually been accosted by police who apparently thought it was that i was some kind of dangerous figure with a bunch of books and pencils and i guess they might not have been wrong <laughs> that is hilarious <laughs> oh my goodness so so yeah that's uh that's interesting I've, i can't say that i've ever played uh, uh in the back of a cattle truck it's definitely unusual um i think the top on my list is um i have i have played in the back of a car played in the back of, of a moving car while traveling mm -hmm. i feel like that's probably a thing that people have done um uh my, my my top of my list though is in an abandoned cabin in the woods 
Um, oh. And when I was when I was at uh, at camp at summer camp, um, a group of us wanted to play D anD D, which was not like a, a scheduled activity at the camp. It wasn't a thing that was happening. We just wanted to do it. Uh, we were looking for a space to do it, and we discovered you know there's a bunch of cabins in the woods. It's it's a summer camp. They're not. They're functional, right? They, eh, they've got bunks in them. Uh, they're wooden structures that keep the rain out. They're not the the, the fanciest, uh, nicest places. But there was one old one off that was disused. Um, so it was just all the furniture was, had been ripped out of it. The ceiling had holes, right? It was just exposed to the elements. But it was empty. And so we kind of claimed it. And we, we found some old uh, mattresses, chucked them in there to sit on. And uh, I specifically remember it because this also affected my books of the time period. Um, my uh, some a bunch of my second edition books have pretty bad water damage because I left them in there because we just went there every day. We'd go there and play, and then it rained. And I remember being down by the lake when it started raining and going, "Oh no, my books!" and running up the hill to go into the woods and try and rescue my books, which were <laughs> actively being rained on because the roof in that cabin was useless. <laughs> you know what that's a great horror movie scene that's a, that's a great horror movie scene of like oh we're all together and then and one person is like my books are being rained on my and books. runs off <laughs> right runs off to that go to, into the woods alone great, into the cabin yeah yeah right that's brilliant yeah that's very right that's william said that's the the evil dead cabin there happening yeah 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 great um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna list off here for you. Here's some other places I've played, which I think are fairly normal. Like I think a lot of us are used to playing in in homes, right? Someone's house, your house, yep. vacation house, yep. houses, game stores. I see that I've run a game in a game store before. Um, at a at a convention, which is usually a hotel or a convention center. Um, I have a friend who runs a a, a camping Cthulhu event every summer. So I played it at a campsite, played Cthulhu around the campfire before. Um, uh, maybe play at your school, at your library. Uh, here's an unusual one. I have a friend, uh, whose whose uh son uh is known for um running. Uh, he runs his D and D game at the uh, psych ward of the hospital. Um, oh, interesting. Which, which is you know unfortunate that he's there, but uh, making the best of it and um and uh, I, I I mean frankly my my reaction was hospital okay with that that's that's an okay activity for kids hanging out in the psych ward yes it is yes that's fine which actually frankly i think is great uh from what i've heard uh the psychological benefits of playing D are actually uh quite extensive so good for them good for them for being cool enough to uh allow that to go on i, I bet at one point it wasn't i bet at one point that would sure. that would have been sketchy and maybe you know in some some other places that are uh, not as enlightened as we are um, that actually might be questionable. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to cruise the chat here, Dan. Any anything to add to that? Other other places uh, you've heard of people playing? Uh, yeah. Let me. Uh, you know what? I'll throw up some of the ones, some of the great uh, uh, memories here that um, we've seen uh, recently. So um, uh, let me see. William had um, two that come to mind: D and D and camping, kind of like you mentioned there, Paul. D and D in the basement during a power outage, which feels very close to home to me. And once in the back table of an Italian restaurant. 
which which I like quite a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, the restaurant Seems one I've weird. heard of a lot, and I've never actually experienced that one myself. Never played at a restaurant. Seems nice to be able to play your D&D and get served food at the same time. Yeah, that seems like, um, you know, dinner theater, but better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to, you know, you've got some photos here, Dan, and I just want to share some of these because, um, you know, we've, we've run at a lot of different conventions. And yeah. what that looks like for folks who are not used to the convention scene can really vary, as it turns out. Um, yes, you know, here's, here's also a typical one nearby that's, uh, that's at a hotel just not too far from me right now. Uh, we're in a little ballroom. That's probably about half the room you're seeing there, right? So there's probably mm -hmm. maybe four or five of those such tables. You know, on the other hand, you have conventions that look like this. Yeah. And that's So the first one's TotalCon. This one's PAX East, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's that's crazy uh, time, right? Yep. That is that is something. Um yeah. Just and, then, and then we were reminiscing. We were reminiscing of playing uh, Bill Webb's game at GaryCon, uh, mm -hmm. which is notable for the huge number of players. I don't know how visible this panoramic shot is of the twenty-five players who were in that game. It had a private room. I think. I think table. that night was only twenty-three. Um, so we had to use a fisheye lens to get the whole room. And so that, I believe that only has twenty-three. The other night we had twenty-seven players at that big conference table. Right. Now, now, notable, it was it was such a huge table um, and so many people crowded around it, like not only just sitting around the table, but you, you can kind of see some of us are pressed against the wall uh, mm -hmm. to make room um, that uh, that Bill Webb to run the game would uh, walk up and down the table. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just physically walk up and down the table in his bare feet with a beer. Yep, <laughs> with a beer. That's, that's how he ran. Yep, yep. You know, yep. for what it's I think, worth, I think he's here. He's actually well, using a beard to, to indicate where on the map we are. Look, yeah, right, exactly. That's <laughs> the place of the miniatures. You know, we're all human beings, and we all have pros and cons. And there are times uh, here, um, honestly, in, in 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 my place, my apartment, sometimes where I go, would Bill Webb do this? <laughs> what, would, what would Bill Webb do in this case? Because um, uh, I feel like I probably am spending time on something he wouldn't worry about. Mm, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you have that photo there from from that. What time that was? And it, it's such a great example because there's a lot of people, you know, that we we chat with sometimes that that you know just a complete disbelief that it's possible mm. to run D and D with more than six people. But there's a lot of people who go, I yeah. I don't know how you could possibly run with more than six people. And uh, you know, I believe my I've, I've tapped out at 14. I think is what I've had at a table once. And so, again, having that having that really interesting experience of actually playing in a room with 27 people and having it totally work, again, for old school D&D, old school, very light D&D, &D, and really having it be very player driven of having a lot of time that was actually the 27 people actually organizing ourselves um, was really a great experience for how much flexibility old school D&D &D really, truly has. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I've capped out at ten, but yeah, it is. It was. It, I remember when we walked into that room, we were like, "I don't know about this," and uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> I I totally. I believe it was like about a half hour in, and I turned to you, and I was still like unclear. But I was like, "Is this good or is this bad? Is this <laughs> is this good?" And and Paul went, "Yes, it is." And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> okay, yes, yes, we are having fun." Oh. <laughs> And like it's you know it's a different it's a different uh, it's a, it's an acquired taste but yeah 
That was and we went and when we went went back two nights later. We busted it. We we um we crashed it. We crashed the event two two days later without any tickets. It was we were so enthusiastic about it. Now one thing I would say is that oh. was late at night, right? So that that yeah. game started, I believe, at eight p.m. And so um, there wasn't any follow up game in that same room, and therefore that gave you know that in that case that gave the game like flexibility. We, we the whole mm -hmm. game could kind of breathe. Bill could take his time running it. He could take breaks. We the players could organize ourselves, and we weren't under this time gun. And the game, what you know, one advantage of having a game late at night is it can kind of um, you know accordion up if you need more time. And I believe we totally ran to you know one or two in the morning. I believe, mm -hmm. um, and and that's something that I've done at our uh, convention, that the, our mini con that you run, Paul, um, in the spring that we call HelgaCon, is frequently. You know, sometimes I personally still have trouble uh, getting my games into the right time slot, which I'm still embarrassed about and still working on. And so if I do run a game late at night, um, you get both the uh, the atmosphere of it's dark, it's night, it's a, a little bit less going on. Um, it's, it's, you know, you're probably not being interrupted quite so much. And the game can go to midnight. The game can go to 1 or 2 a.m. if everybody's comfortable with that. Um, yep. And so I, I have in the past kind of liked running games overnight for a number of reasons. I don't know if other people appreciate the same thing, but you know, again, as people may possibly know, I'm kind of a night owl, and uh, you know, having sometimes I've had games that have actually in my in the past I've had games that have actually run all night long through the weekend, and that kind of suits me. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, and it's kind of yeah. odd, and it's kind of you know isolated. And I kind of like that flavor for for D and D myself. I think I think yeah. I mean, certainly the nighttime thing is interesting because I remember how trying to run uh, Cthulhu games where I would specifically try to target nighttime just for the dark. Dark, dark is spooky. That's what I want. I want that impact on the game. Um, but I don't know. The timing problem is definitely a thing. Um, and I think just as long as you're upfront with all the people involved in the game that like, I, I, I know that I would be irritated sitting down to a game that's supposed to go in a four hour slot and be told as I'm seating. And I actually have encountered this, encountered this where I sat down and I've been told, you know, this game is actually going to go six hours. And I went, got it. Mm, not for me then. I guess I'm leaving. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. so it's the surprise. Really, that's the problem. Just be upfront about, you know, keep it, keep yeah. it in your description or something. Uh, um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you know what we're talking about Helvacon. I want to bring up like another aspect of this is not just what kind of building you're in, right, or what kind of space, but it's like what, how is the physical space configured? What is available for mm -hmm. seating, for table space, et cetera, et cetera? And that comes up every time at Helvacon because we have three or four places where you can run a game, and we usually have three or four games running at a time. Um, but they're not really. Um, we don't pre-schedule where games happen, and we just on the fly have the GMs of, of each of the games get together and say who wants what space. And it's always fascinating to me to watch that conversation happen. I'm often brought in because I'm the organizer of the uh, convention. I'm often brought in just to be like, hey, can you help us coordinate this? Um, just to moderate the discussion or just to get the three people who are involved in the same space at the same time. Uh, <laughs> this is a little bit of cat herding. And... Uh, so, so I do that, and it's always just fascinating because the physical spaces are quite different, right? We have a dining room with like a big dining room table. It's probably the most formal space, right? Lots of chairs, mm -hmm. big table. Everyone's going to sit around. There's a fireplace, which is kind of nice. 
Uh, it's near the kitchen, but it's still like pretty much like your dining room would be at home, I guess. On the yeah, TV. It, it's, it's central. Bigger. It's central in the house. It's right next to the kitchen. Yeah. So there's there's you get traffic coming through to the kitchen, stuff like that. Yep. Yep. And then there's there's a living room, which is like just a bunch of couches. And maybe a coffee table. I think there's a coffee table in there. Right. And that's it. And like, so if you want a more casual, like, let's sit around on the couches and play and don't, you know, we don't need a central space. Uh, there's that. And then there's uh, a porch area, I think, that's like an enclosed porch, which is a little more exposed to the elements. I think there's, when mm -hmm. it's very cold, sometimes when Helga Khan's been very cold, that is a cold place to play your game. But it's quite big, and you can fit a long, long table in it. But also the floor is slanted, which is a little unusual and difficult to deal with when there's a lot of dice involved. <laughs> table is maybe slightly at an angle. Yeah. So that, that that space is big, but a little cantankerous, right? And then we have a fourth and it has, space. It has that, windows on, on like two and a half sides. So potentially it gets a lot of light in the daytime. And potentially it lets in a lot of cold at the nighttime if it's cold too. Yep. And famously once it rained in there. I remember one year where the roof had some issues and it actively rained in that room, which was unfortunate. So it's it's an it's an issue, and then there's a, there's a fourth space right, which is just like a couple of chairs gathered around a um uh, kind of in a parlor area around a wood stove, which is very moody yeah. and interesting place to to hold your game. Yeah. And it's just interesting yeah. to me who wants what space, right? Like like obviously if you have a lot of miniatures and you have a lot of you know materials, you you want one either the dining room or the or the or the porch area because you would need a big table. Right, whereas a lot of a lot of folks who are running more story-based games or horror games, they they tend to opt more for those more casual spaces where we can sit around on couches or near a fire is always fun. Right. Yeah. Right. I will say for me, um, and it's it's really interesting that we have those that variety of spaces there. So for me, I tend to have, uh, I tend to skew somewhat larger number of players. So I'm usually jockeying for one of the larger spaces, either the, the central dining room or, or else the porch. Um, and then I have occasionally, uh, you know, uh, taken the porch for mood issues. Like if I'm running, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, two Mahars, I might want to do it there at night in particular. And I actually think that I intentionally, the year that it rained, I happened to be running Shrine of the Koa Toa, uh, the classic Gygax, <laughs> module with you know basically his analog of deep ones in a murky yeah. partly submerged you know weedy uh, underground temple and i intentionally picked i intentionally picked and and you know be, be, feel free to hate this about me that's a, i i respect that so i intentionally <laughs> picked a porch where it was raining where it actually had water coming through the windows um like i believe at night and yes it was cold and it was wet and i i intentionally picked that and you know, several of us, including me, were wrapped up in blankets in order to get through it, <laughs> as I recall. And I'm like, this, I, I, like, so you know, you know, feel free to tell me if I go too far in one of these kinds of things. But as as someone that did that did grow up in cattle trucks, I was like, this fits, this works, this seems about right. I mean, I think it's really nice when the surroundings echo or or enhance the game itself, right? There's there's obviously the the story I shared about about the the bridge in the sleet. Um, I remember, um, I remember, I think actually in our, uh, our first actual play ever, my birthday game, if you go back, there's a night there where it's, where it's storming. Right. And I think that we got some really nice thunderclaps at just some really good times in the game. 
<laughs> uh, as I recall, which is really nice. Um, I, I also, I will share, I once played a game at Gen Con, which is generally big convention space and, and a collection of small ballrooms. And I was playing a, a horror game that was set in, um, it was kind of based on the terror, if you've ever read that book or seen that. I think they made a TV series out of it. Uh, where it's basically um, early exploration of the Arctic and some some big ships get trapped in the ice for a while. And so you're you're trapped in the ice on the board of the ship. And um, the people running it uh, had gotten a small ballroom, like the smallest ballroom that, like a little conference room that a hotel had. So it was private. There was just one one table in there. We went in there. They had shut the doors. They had turned off the lights. And that, and there were actually two GMs running it, which also makes it interesting. And the second one was just kind of a helper, and he uh, had a had a computer with some sound clips on it, so he's playing a little bits of sound. So I walk in there. There's a howling wind sound. It's dark, and it's noticeably cooler in that room. Now it's Gen Con happens in the middle of the summer, so it's like you're walking around in flip flops and shorts and t-shirt because it's freaking hot out. And I walk into the space and I think what had happened just by having the lights out and the door shut so that the AC was really blasting in that room, it was, it wasn't freezing cold, but it was definitely cooler. And you definitely noticed it walking in. And I was like, that was really nice for setting the tone of like, your wind sounds, it's dark. It's a little, I'm a little, I'm kind of regretting not wearing socks and shoes, right? Like, that was, I I think that's, mm, it's really nice when that stuff lines up. I'm all for that. And of course, the, 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 you know, the story of the terror is, is a, a ship uh, trapped in Arctic ice, if I recall, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great, amazing. Yeah. Now, yeah, I'd so be remiss, just... okay, so on that point, go ahead with your thought, Paul. Oh, no, 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 I yeah. nothing, go on. Okay, so on that point, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk, if we didn't talk about your game, uh, your mazes and monster game that occurred at HelgaCon, and you were in the small, uh, lounge next to the wood stove is where you set that up and you know possibly one of the single most successful role-playing games i've ever experienced ever myself um and uh just just completely blown away and i don't know how much we should tell about the backstory of it but it's 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 a bit of a meta story it's a game about games so it's a it's a game about people discovering dungeons and dragons um uh you know during the during the period when that was potentially a fearful thing and among the uh, you know amazing things, I thought was that there's a point kind of midway in the game where there's a transition where people get transported to a different location, and at that halfway point, you actually took a break in the game and said, "Everybody, you can take a break. You know, go in the kitchen, get a snack, whatever." Um, everybody left except me, and for what and whatever reason, I'm just you know immune to pain or anything like that. So I was like, "Well, I got nothing else to do. I'm just going to sit here." And um, and and you and I changed the the setup and and the lighting of the room. So we went around and we actually turned off half the lights and repositioned some of the lights. And I tested it a couple of times. We were doing it on the fly. So it's like, does this work? Does that not work? Try this. Try that. And by just shifting like half the lights in the room, people came back. And I feel like emotionally and psychologically, there was this huge tonal switch just from that lighting change. And it was already a great game, already great, you know, written setup. You ran it amazingly, great players. Uh, but then that lighting switch just put it completely over the top. And I don't think I've ever had anything as emotionally effective for me as that particular, um, what you call mazes and monsters game it was amazing. Yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of a happy accident a bit, 
Um, <clears throat> I will say a lot of the horror games I write do kind of have this two-act structure where there's the beginning part where it's everything's fine and we're just investigating stuff and we're learning about what happens and maybe there's some scary stuff but not terrible. And then there's a twist and things get really dark. Um, <clears throat> and um, and also when I'm running con games, usually about at about the halfway point through the con game, I like to call for a break. I like to like, okay, let's you know give everyone a chance, go to the bathroom, you know, get a snack, stretch your limbs, whatever. Um, usually that's the point where like my own water bottle is empty and I'm like, I need to fill my water bottle. Go do that. Uh, so I like, I like having that break point. And when those two things line up, that's magic. And I love that. <laughs> right. Great. Okay. We just got to this point. There's going to be a big shift in the game. Let's take a break. And I think it was you that actually recommended, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's a spooky game, right? Let's adjust the lighting and make it more spooky. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. So it's a bit of a happy accident, but um, but definitely something I would want to try and reproduce in the future, if possible. Of like, yeah. yep, let's bring the lights down. Let's okay, things things are about to get terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. That's uh, that's you know that's uh, among the reasons why um, we we think that uh, that co DMing is good occasionally. Mm. Should do a show about that actually. Anyway, there's two people in wandering DMs, and that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, you're saying what? Uh, what exactly is one of the reasons we like code DMing? Because of the happy accidents, or because? Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The happy yeah. accidents, and you know, riffing on each other's ideas, and you know, it's not going to work for everybody, but for you know, for 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 Paul and Dan, that's that's you know, frequently very productive and rewarding, and comes up with things neither one of us would have come up with individually. Yeah, yeah. What a great, but that was just, that was just such a great game already. Um, and a great, great place, yeah, a great place to have it too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was yep. nice. That was nice. Um, I have a note here, um, that I want to make sure since we're talking about Helicon anyway, I wanted to bring up, uh, a game called This House is, uh, This House is Haunted, um, which I feel like maybe I've talked about on the show once before or twice before. Uh, you can find it on the Game Crafter. Uh, it is a, a, a game, uh, kind of a, a card-based game about um, about exploring a haunted house. And here is a game that absolutely plays with location and setting hardcore. Um, the, the gist of the game is you have a big deck of cards that's separated out into many piles, maybe half a dozen piles, and then you have to put them in separate rooms throughout the house that you're playing in, with closable doors, preferably. So rooms that are out of sight line from the main area where you're playing the game. And then you are told to turn out all the lights in the house and give everyone a flashlight. And the gist of the game is round by round, you return to the common area. Someone is the leader on uh, that shifts turn to turn. And the leader assigns people, I want you to go explore the basement. I want you to go explore the attic, right? And each person is told where to go. And they have to go up there and draw cards and hopefully come back but sometimes they don't. Sometimes wow. the cards tell them that they have to stay there. And then we come wow. back and we go, who's missing? And what's happening in the basement right now? What are those noises I'm hearing? Should we send more people to explore that area? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Not sure. And wow. I've definitely I've played rounds of that game where like there's like two people in the common area and you go, oh no. <laughs> what is happening? What is going on with this game? And it's, you know, and the whole thing is to make it that spooky of like, oh, we're exploring a scary house. And I, so I love that it, it plays with the lights and it plays with the mood and it plays with physical space, right? Like it's, 
you have to have several rooms available to you to play this game. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that sounds yeah, We played it once that really on. It's, it's super fun. It is really fun. Wow. Super intense. Now you're making me remember, um, uh, you know, uh, like uh, when we had uh, Greg Svensson on, remembering uh, the very first, uh, the very first fantasy role playing adventure uh, that uh, Dave Arneson ran. Uh, suppose the the very first encounter with a uh, with a with a hideous black pudding, which is one of the worst monsters in original D anD. d When it jumped out at them, he took again he took uh, his players to the basement in the laundry room. Um, and apparently said, okay, stand where you're going to stand in your marching order, and then uh, tell me what you do now and flip the lights off, right? And uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody jumped for cover, physically yep. jumped yep. for cover, and then he flipped the lights back on and adjudicated who got who got killed based on where they'd actually physically jumped for cover, <laughs> which is... Which is an interesting, you know, which is an interesting element, yeah. you know, not uh, mass replicable. So it's not something that you can depend on. You, you know, you can't, you know, tell in a, in a rule book that to, to use the basement laundry room because not everybody has that. Um, yeah, so right. it's not something that's stuck. Uh, it's not, that kind of element didn't really stick in, uh, you know, standard D&D, I would say. But a really, you know, a really interesting element if you specifically craft a particular game around that, around a space that you know and everybody has buy-in, that can be like super intense. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of building something, to, like especially if it's a place you've been before, you know it's, it's unusual, you know something about it, you can incorporate that, right? Like I would love, you know, the, it, it, the funny thing is as we tell these stories, I'm realizing most of the cases where it was really successful were all accidents, right? Like. I did not know it was going to be sleeting and that everyone was going to have to cross this bridge, right? Uh, I did not plan to dim the lights in the middle of that one game. But every time I walk away from those thinking, how can I do this on purpose? How can I do this intentionally in the future? So I'm always kind of curious about that. Um, I don't know that I've ever really successfully done it, but now I feel like the challenge is there. The challenge has been thrown down of like, maybe for next HelgaCon, I got to consider the space first and then customize the game to the space. Fascinating. Nice. Nice. That's are a, there, that's a, there, that's a great idea. I definitely have a little list here of places that I've never gotten to play that I would like to play. Do you have great stuff like that? Well, I, I, as I was saying right before the show, actually, I kind of wanted to say that I played on a boat, but then, you know, tracking my memory, I don't think I have. What I think I've been on a boat a number of times and then regretted not bringing a game because being on the boat sucked. Yeah. Yeah, and you just wanted to fill the time with something enjoyable. Is that is that yeah, or specifically yes. you wanted the the experience of role playing on a boat? I think it was because I wanted to do something else at that point. I I remember being like on a short overnight cruise, and I'm sitting at a big table. And I'm like, I this is this. I I've done, I if I had GameStop, I have a giant table here, and everybody's bored right now. And we could totally do something interesting. Um, yeah. So that was I think that was the thought process. I have in the past very much wanted to play on a train. I always thought that would be fun. Um, I specifically want to play on a train going to and from a convention. Um, originally, I thought like like a, a train to Gen Con would be super fun, where we like extend the experience of being at the convention by also role playing on the train. Um, but it kind of hit me when I went uh, just a few years ago. I went down to um, Oh, where was it? Oh, it must have been Pax. It must have been when we went to Pax Unplugged, because I think I took the train to that. Um, and sure enough, a lot of people on that train were all going to Pax Unplugged. And I remember on the way back, 
grabbing one of the tables in the dining car and I'm sitting there by myself in the dining car. And I'm like, I know this train is full of gamers. And I like, I think I took a picture of myself and tweeted it. And I was like, I'm in the dining car. <laughs> I got game material. Nobody came, unfortunately. I uh, I remember that, and I really I and I remember uh, that's like that's that's uh, that's like uh, frankly an impressive feat of fortitude, um, because usually when people get past a big you know convention weekend, they're toasted, and they're just like I need to, I need to nap, and Paul comes away going I I'm ready to run extra games, I'm ready to run extra games <laughs> as I travel away from the con at the other weekend, and very I think Let's very few people have that level of commitment. Yeah. Yeah, I was impressed. I, I think that would be super fun. I think that would be fun. But then, of course, and then like the more I planned it out, the more I'm like, and and what I really want to do is, um, you know, run a game that's set on a train. Yeah, Why wouldn't you course. run a game set on a train in a train? Like, right, right. I remember as a kid once, I I once watched the movie Jaws from a pool. I was in a pool, and there was a screen yes. adjacent to it projecting the movie Jaws, and I was like, that's perfect. I love the immersion. I want more of that. I want more of that. Anybody ever played in a pool? Anybody in the chat ever played? Like, can you play D and D in a pool? Is that a thing? Dan, do you want to run your Sahagan, your your uh, not your Sahagan game? What game was it? Well, you were just talking about the the Kutoa. Yeah, the Kutoa. Kutoa game? Yeah. In, well, now in, I in a pool. Yeah. Here's your, here's your pool noodle, kids. <laughs> you, you roll a natural one. I take the pool noodle away. Yeah. 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 The character sheet always me... becomes a little bit of an issue. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, a couple of times I have tried and I think it was um, Hobo Ogre um, here who said uh, picnic table at a county park. Let me just throw that up here, um, mm -hmm. kind of near the start of our episode here. Um, and I've tried. That's actually one thing that hasn't worked super well for me, uh, trying to play outside on a picnic table. And you vary just a tiny little bit of a breeze. Every, everything's blowing around. So all your papers are blowing around. Your dice are tipping over and stuff like that. And now I'm spending half the time trying to find ways to lock down the papers and the book pages that I've got open and stuff like that. So actually, I've had trouble yeah. and haven't like, succeeded very much. I would say likewise, like the, that. The, the Camping Cthulhu event, uh, I think, cuts both ways. There are some moments where it's mm -hmm. delightful, right? We're sitting around a campfire and we're playing a Cthulhu mm -hmm. game and it's spooky as hell and it's just wonderful. Or we're sitting around a, a picnic table with a lantern and like it's super creepy. But also... I've been at times where I'm like, it's like 85 degrees or 90 degrees out and there's a lot of mosquitoes and I'm sweating and sitting at a picnic table and it's awkward and we're all in camp chairs and like it just, eh, this is not adding to the, to this, to the setting. In fact, it's kind of making it worse. Yeah. I used to have a t-shirt that was like, uh, you know, Maine has five seasons. It's like, um, uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and mosquito season. And, um, <laughs> you know, I went, I went on a number of canoe trips, uh, when I was younger in, in, in central Maine woods and a particular late summer, it can just be black with mosquitoes, just, just completely black with mosquitoes. And just, I'm not going to go into it, but just, they just get everywhere. They're everywhere all the time, all the time. And, um, <sighs> you know, was highly traumatized by that. And then I've never been bothered by mosquitoes since. Like you can't, you can't throw a normal number of mosquitoes at me and bother me because I've just seen like, the, uh, the elemental plane of mosquitoes. I've, I've walked through that and nothing doesn't bother me anymore. That's amazing. I would say if you are going to play outside, I would recommend like a low, like a, like a, a low um, complication rule set, right? So something that's a little mm. bit more improvisational, 
something that doesn't require a lot of gear or a lot of bookups. Like probably, uh, you know, I might take a stab and say fifth edition or something complicated is probably not the best idea. But if you have something that's low, low rule set, light rules, um, and you can mostly run it in your head improvisationally, that would probably be a better option if you are going to try to run something outdoors, probably. <laughs> Let me throw up Stevens. So Stephen had a memory here that sounded really nice. Um, so near the start of the show, Stephen Wendell said that he used to play bi-weekly games in the cellar of a Paris game store with stone walls and a vaulted ceiling. And classic Parisian architecture. That sounds... That sounds like possibly my favorite of anything that anybody's put in the chat, frankly. That sounds friggin' delightful. Now, I, now I'm now i super jealous. I mean, we haven't, we haven't discussed it. Uh, that, that is, I mean, that is, that is fantastic, of course. I, I think that's, right? that's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, we haven't discussed, I guess, is also, I think, traditionally, uh, every year at GaryCon, somebody runs uh, a game at Gary's house, right? At Gary's old house where, right. he, where he lived. Right. When right. that seems also pretty cool i think just for like the historical right. fact of this is where the game was invented i'm, I'm playing it here that's huge or right or it was funny because i was just talking to a friend the other night that i hadn't seen in a while about about that um or um uh, the compliment to that is when dave mcgarry and his wife rose brings dave arneson's original table from his basement to gary con and we've of course played the dungeon right. game on that uh, ping pong table, originally, table. right? I yeah, on the ping pong table. Yeah. Hold up, ping yep. pong table. Yep. So, and you, you feel that you can you can kind of feel you can kind of feel the history of the game on the table <laughs> it was originally invented on. And that's I'm so glad that uh, Dave and Rose uh, cart that freaking <laughs> that freaking huge ping pong table back and forth to GaryCon all the time. Yeah. You could totally feel that. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. Uh, Dan, we're just about out of time here. Do you, do you have any any final thoughts on physical space, the location of your games? I kind of like, you know, I'm kind of fond of your point that you just picked up on that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought of at the start of the hour, Paul, that, you know, the, the ones that have been most successful are ones where you've improvised and you've picked up on something that's live in the environment that you kind of didn't expect, fold it into the game. And again, you know, the game is it has a lot of improvisational elements to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people look at art, you know, performative artwork and say, well, you know, is this a piece of artwork that stands the test of time forever? But then, you know, I get a lot of value out of things that are one-time experiences, one-time unique experiences that you really had to be there to, ex and it's never going to be the same thing. And, you know, taking cues from your environment in ways that you didn't expect folding it in is a great way to make a, a completely unique, really memorable experience. And I agree, those kinds of, uh, those kinds of times where you in particular have been inspired by the environment that uh, you know maybe at a convention that you were you're just uh, discovering for the first time have been among my favorite gaming experiences so you using that folding it in on the fly is is really a great idea for for top-notch dms yeah i think that's i think that's true and and i and i think it can it can go the other way unfortunately i've certainly played in games where the dm is trying really hard to add evocative stuff mm -hmm. right lights sounds whatever mm -hmm. And maybe it falls a little flat because it just feels a little too forced. Um, yep. So maybe yep. improvisation is the key here, which is a I little disappointing, frankly, because I kind of want to, I don't want more of those experiences. Well, it's the challenge. I think you might just have to, you know, have an improv mindset and come in and mm. you know be present, right? Be, you know, feel the room. Uh, uh, you mm. know, read the room, man. 
Um, and, yeah. um, you know, you know, be, you know, uh, accept, embrace the fact that uh, you're jumping into the unknown every time uh, you run D&D. It's funny, ta Paul, you're talking about going to a convention on a train because I did that. I took a train to a convention in New Jersey here from New York at one point. I think it was Dexcon one summer. And um, I'd never been there. I was just taking, you know, a game that I wanted to run for the first time. I knew nobody there, never seen the place. Beautiful scenery as I take the train across New Jersey. And I'm sitting in the car going, <clears throat> I don't think I can do this. I don't, I don't know, I don't know why anybody ever thinks they can ever DM. It just seems like an impossible <laughs> challenge. And clearly I'm gonna fail wildly today. This has been a terrible mistake. Why did I do this? And it and of course it was fine. But every time you DM, you are kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool without a pool noodle. And you you, you know, sometimes you just have to embrace that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I feel I feel like Dan, you should go back and retitle this this um, this particular episode of Wandering DMs to "Into the Deep End Without a Pool Noodle." Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, no noodle for you. Yeah. Viewers, if you have experiences playing in unusual places or or in um, incorporating your physical location or physical surroundings into your game, uh, please leave us comments here in the YouTube uh, video. We would love to hear from you. Um, actually, I'm super curious, especially in terms of like how to intentionally pull elements of your surroundings into the game, if that's even possible. Or does it just have to, just have to happen in the moment? Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what your thoughts are. Maybe we'll... Uh, inspire some new topics for wandering DMs down the road, or just inspire my gaming, which I appreciate. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok, and we have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So follow us there, and you'll see updates on upcoming show topics. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can find those podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com, uh, which has been recently redesigned. Woohoo! Um, but you will have to, I think, hit the podcasts button uh, on the front page there. Uh, you can also find our podcasts on various podcast carriers, such as Podcast, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. I'm forgetting the other ones. Okay. If you are listening to us on one of those podcast sites right now and the site offers it, please rate and review our show there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, we really do. And, of course, uh, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show, in particular this episode, because I've enjoyed this one a lot. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, and if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, uh, we have a couple different tiers there. Every single tier gets you access to our Discord server where the conversation is continually going all the time. And we do have a live after chat about 10 minutes after every Sunday show. So Paul and I will be there today and uh, we'll look forward to uh, people jumping in there and continuing the conversation live on video and getting some other ideas uh, that maybe you didn't have time to put in the chat. And we would love to, love to see you there if you can. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. What else is happening uh, this week, Paul? Are you are you going to be doing any painting this week? I'd like to. I know I haven't I haven't been able to get to the painting table much recently. Uh, I'm hoping uh, either Monday or Tuesday to, to to hit it again if possible. But um, no promises. I'm afraid. 
Uh, I hope, uh, viewers, if uh, we had a great game with uh, Dan Cullinan last Thursday on the Book of War stream, and uh, you go about 20 minutes in, and you're going to see bl me blow my entire quota for um, curse words all at once uh, in the first turn of the game. So uh, look forward to that. And I had to uh, had to tell YouTube to uh, to pay to uh, sorry sorry about uh, all the obscenities about 20 minutes in. <laughs> so that was last Thursday. I'll be back uh, for more Pool of Radiance uh, tomorrow night, Monday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time uh, because uh, I had to yank out the graph paper last time to map out the damn teleporting maze and the Great Pyramid. So that's what was, maybe there'll be more graph paper action, more exciting graph paper action late Monday night. <laughs> and then um, and then next Sunday, uh, we'll be back here and we're very excited because we'll have a special guest, uh, Mr. Keith Amon. We've had on a couple of times uh, in the past. Uh, frankly, one of my favorite D&D authors. And so his, uh, he sent over an advanced copy of his uh, upcoming book. I think it's available for pre-order, How to Defend Your Lair. So uh, nobody else has this, but uh, we, have a, we have a physical copy here before it comes out from Keith. So, and you know what? I, I've been reading through this, and actually, I enjoy this book a lot. I, this might actually be my favorite book that Keith's written, actually. And in particular, I think it's the most useful for people that don't play 5th edition. So it's, it is, this one's the, probably the most useful for people that play other editions or other role-playing games. And actually, I, I, just, I just love Keith's writing. It's so clever, and he, he constructs his sentences so well. And um, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, to running a bunch of questions uh, to Keith next week about his book. So that'll be uh, Sunday, November 20th, one week from now. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. so uh, don't forget, we are... Mm -hmm, yep. Uh, so don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time and next week with uh, Keith Alman. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.